You know, preachers spend a lot of time trying to come up with catchy titles to sermons, things that catch your attention and hold your attention. Christmas is all about the birth of Jesus Christ. We make no apology for that. That's what it is. It's the celebration of when eternity intersected time, when God stepped out of eternity and came into our time. Emmanuel, God is with us. God is no longer up there, out there somewhere, this great creator God doing something. He's now here, and he's with us. And so I thought, instead of trying to spend a lot of time coming up with a catchy title, why don't we just call it what it is? Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 2, that very familiar passage. But I pray that familiarity with it will not keep you from hearing and seeing something new today that might help you as we celebrate this Christmas season. And there's three things I want to say about this passage, and it breaks out beautifully. First of all, in the first seven verses, we see the power of their world. The world at the time Jesus was born. The power of their world. And then verses 8 through 14, we see the powers of another world. We'll have more to say about that in a moment. And then in the last little uh, section, verses 15 through 20, we see the people of our world. So the powers of their world, the powers of another world, the people of our world. Let me begin reading in Luke 2, verse 1. It's very familiar to you. But as we go through here, I want to say a couple of little things, just little tidbits that uh, you find in studying uh, this particular passage out. Luke 2, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Let me just pause for just a moment. For many, many years, the scorners and skeptics of the Bible laughed at this passage. And they laughed and disputed all of it because they said it begins an era. They had done their study and they could find no decree from Caesar Augustus at this particular time that the world should be taxed. In fact, the word world here means all the inhabited world. It meant everything. That was the world at that time. And so you would think a statement like that would be lodged somewhere in some historical data. And they laughed. Ha, 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 you silly people. We've studied it and there is no such decree. The archaeologist's spades kept turning. Wait, wait, we've hit something here. Sure enough, they found that there was a decree from Caesar Augustus at this time that the whole world should be taxed. So all those skeptics, all those who laughed at this were wrong. They were dead wrong. And if they didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ, they're dead wrong today. It is a fact. It is a historical fact, not just a theological fact, that a decree went out taking Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem just like Micah the prophet had told them was going to happen hundreds of years before Caesar Augustus was even on the scene. Verse 2, and this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. 
and all went to be taxed, every one to his own city. And Joseph also went up uh, from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into the Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. They're actually taking a census. And in order to take the census back then, they didn't have email and forwarding of address. You went back to where you were born. You went back to your ancestral home. That's where the tax rolls were kept. So you had to, by law, go back so that they could get an accurate accounting of who they were going to tax so that they could send the tax bill. And um, I don't know if it was April the 15th, but it was probably somewhere around that time. <clears throat> and this was all done to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, firstborn. This was her first child. She had other children and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. Bad translation, King James. The word literally means the angel of the Lord stood next to him. Now get the picture. It's dark. It's cold. It's boring. We're keeping sheep. We're out here standing around watching these dumb sheep. Boom! Right beside you is an angel of the Lord. That's why it says they were sore afraid. <laughs> Better translation, they were scared out of their skin. Now, shepherds, think of it this way. This is the way I think. Maybe it's weird. These are cowboys, biblical cowboys. These are people who heard things. They're independent. They're hardworking. They're, they're men who are not prone to a lot of emotion. They get the job done. They're, 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 they're hard men. And all of a sudden, they're standing there, and next to them is a full-blown angel. Can you imagine? I mean, we can't imagine. Can you imagine what, what they, the terror they felt? And the Bible says, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were, <laughs> the word says, they feared a great fear. They were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not. It's a good thing he said that, or they would have not heard the rest of what he said because they would have been gone. For behold, I bring you good tidings. The word there that's translated good tidings is where we get the word evangelism. It's good news not only good news, good news of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Don't run past it. Only place in Scripture where that order is given. Christos Kurios, Christ the Lord. Christ, the anointed Messiah, the one they'd been looking for. The Messiah is here. Lord, boss, Christ, the Lord, boss. Boss of what, Brother Owens? Everything. Christos Kyrios, Christ the Lord. The only place in Scripture where that's found in that order. And this shall be a sign unto you. 
Oh, it's a sign here. What is the sign? You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. And the word that's used to describe that is where we get the word array or strata. A strata means a large grouping of whatever you're talking about. It wasn't an angel and a couple of angels floating around. The heavens opened up and there were tens of thousands of angels. As far as you could see, up, down, around, a huge throng of the heavenly host. And let me just, oh, I just thought of this. The heavenly host, that's the battle title for the angels. It's the same word that's used to translate when he was on the cross. There, there is an army out there, folks. We, we, we were concerned right now about uh, China and some other places and all of this. Listen, they, they may have 100 million, but we have 100 quatillion angels. And, and at the end of time, I read where one puny angel takes devil, the devil by the nap of the neck and throws him in the lake of fire. One angel. And there are billions of angels, untold number of angels, who are standing ready, willing, and able to do the Lord's willing. Well, I hadn't planned to say that, but I'm glad I did. That was pretty good. And they're saying, singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said one to another, let us go even, now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing. The word that's translated there is where we get the word logos, the word, but it's actually a particular type of word. It's the rhema. You see, the logos is a word. The rhema is when that word is personalized to you. When I tell you God is love, that's the logos. That's the word of God. Jesus is the word, but he also speaks the word. The logos is God loves you. When you receive it, it's the rhema. And all of a sudden, I, I understand. I understand what that means to me personally. And so all of a sudden, this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. That's the sign. That's the sign that they were looking for. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherd. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She kept going over them and over them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorified, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Okay, that's the backdrop. That's the story. But let's look at it from a couple of different facets. As I told you, first thing I want you to see is I want you to see it from the standpoint of the powers of their world. Who was in charge? What was going on at the time Jesus Christ came into existence here on earth? He had already, he was, he's eternal, he's always been. But when, he, when, when he, God was made flesh, the incarnate God, when he became flesh uh, at Bethlehem, what was going on in the world? 
Jesus was born into a world of international movement and international implication. One word from the pagan emperor at Rome, and that word was felt throughout the vast domain and beyond. In fact, the whole world would have to respond when the emperor spoke. Caesar Augustus had called for the collection of a new tax. And because of that, they had a census so that they could enforce the tax. That's verses 1 and 2. It had been the supreme good fortune of Cassius Octavius to be Julius Caesar's favored grandnephew. You see, Octavius, Caius Octavius, was the grandnephew of Julius Caesar. And Octavius took the name after he became emperor, Caesar, by adoption. And Augustus, he just added it. When you're the king, you can change your name and call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. So he's trying to identify with Caesar Augustus. He's trying to identify with what had been the lineage. Nepotism is not new in politics. It's been around a long time. And so here he's trying to run on the coattails of those who were before him. And so he takes this name in order to make him more of who he wants to be. With the murder of Julius Caesar, it gave him a chance to step forward on the center stage of history like he had always wanted. And with the suicide of Mark Anthony, his greatest rival, this cleared the way for Caesar Augustus to do what he had always wanted to do. In fact, he moved past being emperor, and he moved past being king. He was now God. In fact, at that time, you would say, Caesar is God. That's why it's so twerked the whole political establishment when the Christians started saying, no, God is God. Jesus is God. Uh, uh, Jehovah is God. All of a sudden, it was taken away from who he thought he was. He wasn't God, and today he knows he wasn't God. The tax that he decided to have could have even been a whim. Hey, we're just going to have a tax. But his whim became law anytime he said whatever he said. And it was to be obeyed without question. The tax that is mentioned here was imposed by Cyrenius, who was governor of Syria. He was a humble man by all accounts. He was a soldier of fortune, a military man who was raised to this rank as a payoff because of his military accomplishments. In fact, secular history says he had a state funeral when he died, which you had to be really someone of great importance. My point is this. There's a lot of political intrigue going on in this day. There's a lot of backbiting going on. There's a lot of stabbing in the back, literally stabbing in the back. There's a lot of stuff going on in the politics of the world. And the politics of the world then was the fact that you had someone who thought he was God. And he acted like he thought he was God. And you had others who were military people who were carrying out the orders. Put two and two together. There was no rebellion. There was no anarchy. There was no one who was going to step out of line when you have these sort of people who were ruthless people. There was no middle class in the day. There was the rich and the not. That's it. And the rich kept keeping the ones who were not, not. 
And, and here's a perfect example. Just, we're just going to have a tax. There's no need for tax. We're just going to have a tax. And so everyone had to do what they had to do. Mary and Joseph began their trek back because everyone had to return to their ancestral home. Like it or not, this journey would have been a difficult journey, especially difficult and uncomfortable for Mary. I'm a husband. I understand how these things work. Mary, we're going to have to go back to Bethlehem. Honey, I'm pregnant. I, I could deliver this baby anytime. How far is it? Historians tell us it's a three days journey. Oh, honey, it's three days. I cannot walk three days. Don't worry about it. I got a donkey for you to ride on. Guys, that didn't help a lot. Riding a donkey when she's nine months pregnant. I mean, that, that, but that's how we think. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work out. Well, they had no choice. They had to do it. It didn't matter whether she was expecting a child or not. It didn't matter if somebody was deathly ill. They had to obey the rules of the game. And so they head back, three days' journey. They arrive at Jerusalem, and then they have to continue another six miles south to Bethlehem. And when they arrive at the inn, you know the rest of the story. There's no room at the inn. The inn has a long history. Many believe it to be the Chimham's inn, 2 Samuel 19, 38 through 40, and Jeremiah chapter 41, verse 17. Jeremiah had spent the night there when he was being abducted and taken to Egypt several years before. Again, get the picture. Here you have the emperor, the Caesar, the boss, who thinks he's God. He has military people under him enforcing whatever he wants. You have business people here who are operating a, a, an inn, which was probably one of the only inns in that area, but it was the place to stay if you were going from one place to another from between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. Business people, probably full. It was a holiday season. They could up the rates, like the Daytona 500. You just charge whatever you want. It doesn't matter. People have to stay here. All of these people are transfixed and focused on what they were doing and they missed the greatest single event in all of history because they were so narrow focused on what was going on. That was the powers that were in charge in that day. That was the people who were in charge during the time of the birth of Christ. But not only do I want you to see the powers of their world, I want you to see the powers of another world world. Verse 8, here are the angels. They're abiding the sheep, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 9, boom, there he stands. This angel announces what's about to happen. And as I said a moment ago, you can imagine the, the fact that all of a sudden everything changed. Now contrast this with, with point one, with the emperor with the governor, with the innkeeper, with all these people, their casual indifference to what's going on is overshadowed by the angel's enthusiasm by the announcement. Here we see the angels are excited about what's taking place while the rest of the world is sitting there yawning, not caring. Now, folks, they should have known. They should have known. There were people in Persia that knew the prophecies concerning Christ. 
There were people who knew he was coming, Messiah was coming, but they were so preoccupied by what they were doing in their world, they missed the announcement from the other world. Their appearance of the angels terrify the shepherds. Uh, imagine, if you will, a quiet, even boring night interrupted by the heavens exploding with light and sound. I believe it was the Shekinah glory of God. And always in Exodus 24, verse 16, 1 Kings 8, verse 10, the Shekinah glory of God always appeared in the Old Testament to announce the presence of God. God's here. And I believe it was that same Shekinah glory on that Judean hillside that, that evening that announced Emmanuel. God has arrived on planet Earth. Can you imagine these shepherds when they get over the shock of an angel, a full-blown angel standing next to them and look up and see this, this array, this strata, this vast number of angels, and they're not quiet angels. They're praising and glorifying God. They're announcing the good news that God is now with us. When you stop and think about the, the powers of the other world, their announcement greatly overshadows any power in this old world. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you have touched the very thing that these folks were living through. The presence of God made real to you. Well, the first thing the angels say is probably a good thing. Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Notice a Savior is born. They don't say a king is born, though he was. They don't say a leader is born, though he was. A Savior's born. Why? To be perfectly truthful with you folks, our big problem is not that we need a king. Our big problem is not that we need a leader. Our big problem is we need a Savior. We're sinners every one of us, including the one who's pointing at you right now. <laughs> we all need a Savior. That's why Christ came into this world, to save us from our sins. That's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. A Savior has come into the world. How in the world would you ever get to know God if it wasn't for Christ picturing for us in flesh what God's like because he was God. But then to take it a step further for him to suffer and bleed and die so that we might spend an eternity in heaven with God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. <laughs> Hallelujah, what a Savior. When you stop and think all that he did and it began in a feed trough in Bethlehem. Like the video said, where would he come? What could be the most grandest, most beautiful, most outlandish palace on planet earth that would accommodate him? Nothing. He left heaven to come here. There's nothing on earth to compare with what he left. So why not come? Why not come into a feed trough? Why not come to the common man? Abraham Lincoln said, God must love the common man because he made so many of us. Amen. Amen. 
He came to us. He didn't come to the royalty. He didn't come to the up and out. He came to the down and out because he knew Glenn Owens needed a savior. And he is my savior. That's why Christmas should be special to all of us. The signs, there was a sign given the shepherds. What was the sign? A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. There was a different sign given to the wise man. It was a star to precede them, to direct them. Stop and think of Christmas and the signs that we have all around us at Christmas time. I, I, I was walking by a Christmas tree as I was leaving uh, the house, and I noticed Susan had put several of the packages had red ribbon on them. I mean, just about all of them. In fact, I think all of them were red ribbon most of the packages you have unless that's not the color for the year you know <laughs> but red why the precious blood of our savior it, it, it speaks to that the evergreen tree evergreen we don't bring in a dead oak tree we bring in a green tree because of everlasting life it pictures for us why do we give presents to make some Jewish businessman happy? The first boss I had told me one day, he said, Christmas, huh, nothing to it. He said, it's, a bunch of, it's just what a bunch of Jews dreamed up in order to sell stuff. He told me that. He told me that. Laughed. Folks, a bunch of Jewish folks did come up with this, but it wasn't to sell presents. <laughs> It was a carpenter who was a Jew who decided to come into this world because the father said, I need a plan because I love mankind, but they're wretched, poor, and blind. Go and die for them. Go and be a man and die for them. Go and be a sinless man and die for them. You think about all the things that we do at Christmas. It's all about Jesus. And yet the lost world will give packages. The lost world will stand around a Christmas tree. The lost world will sing all the songs. They see the sign, but they miss the sign. They see the signs of Christmas, but they miss the sign of Christmas. It's all about the birth of Jesus Christ. The gifts, the celebration, the music, the pageantry, all that we do points back to Christ. It simply pictures the sights and sounds of that first Christmas that those poor shepherds were experiencing. So we've seen here the power of their world, the world that Christ came into, a world of nepotism, of favors, of power, of, of greed, of, of indifference. We see the powers of another world when the angels appear and announce the birth of Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. But not only the powers of their world and the powers of another world, but I want you to see the people of our world. The Bible here says in verse 15, it came to pass as the angels were gone away. Now again, the King James does not make it as emphatic as it is. It stopped dead. The angel appeared, boom, he's there. Glory to God in the highest. Oh, and all the excitement and the glory and the noise and the lights, and it was over. It didn't fade away. 
it instantaneously stopped. Can you imagine? I, I think if I'd have been there, I'd have gone, did that really happen? <laughs> I mean, it was so quick. It abruptly stopped. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heavens. Notice what the shepherds do. The first thing they do is they obeyed. I've told you before from this pulpit, in the Christian life, understanding can wait. Obedience cannot. If you sit around trying to understand everything God's doing, you may be waiting a long time. You obey what you know and you move from faith to faith. Romans chapter 1. You move from faith to faith. And as you move from faith, God gives you faith to believe more. You move from faith, God gives you faith. And all of a sudden, you're over here and you started out way over here. The Christian life is a progression. It, it is a climactic event followed by progressive steps. We come to faith and then we grow in the grace and knowledge of God. And so this is abrupt. But the first thing they do, the anthem cease, the angels vanish Back to a cold, dark night on a hillside with a bunch of dumb animals. But they could not be the same. They couldn't be the same. Do you know Christ? Is he Savior and Lord of your life? Are you the same person you used to be? I think it's an honest question. If Christ has come into our life, there ought to be a change. Now, I'm not saying you sprout wings and grow a halo. I'm not saying that at all. But you ought to be different. You ought to be a different person because in Christ, you're a new creature, a new creation. It doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But it does mean you can't sin and enjoy it like you used to. Amen. It means that sin bothers you. And it means that you understand that you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And it means that when we do disappoint God and disappoint ourselves, that we can come back and humbly ask for forgiveness and bless his heart. He forgives us. And when we come back, he forgives us. And when we come back, he forgives us. Now, it doesn't mean he won't take you to the woodshed in the meantime. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And you be without chastisement, you're illegitimate. You're not a child of God. Thank God for chastisement. It's evidence that you know Christ. But he forgives. And he corrects. And he forgives. And he corrects. And all of it is trying to grow us in the grace and knowledge of God. Notice the shepherds. They could not be the same. They said, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which the Lord, uh, which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. Verse 16, and they came with haste. I've told you this before, but I love to tell it. The verb that's translated came with haste is a word that literally means jump a fence. They didn't follow the path over to the road and then follow it down to the farm market road to go into 
They took off across the field, jumping fences. They made a beeline for Bethlehem. They didn't wander around trying to figure out how it's the best way to get there. They literally hurdled a fence. Now, fences back then were rocky ridges just built up to kind of keep the, the sheep intact. It, it wasn't like they had to, you know, do the Olympic high hurdle, but rather they had to do some stepping. The whole point is the fact that they went straight where they were going. No meandering to follow God. Straight toward the object. When they found the man and the woman and the baby lying in the manger, they said, this is what the angel told us. This is the sign. This is what the angel told us. That baby is the Messiah. That baby's God. And I'm sure to a first century cowboy, that didn't make much sense. But they believed it. They believed it. The glory of God had shown around about them to the point they were frightened. And then that angel spoke, Don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news that will manifest itself into great joy in your life. And as a minister of the gospel, that's what I do every Sunday. I try to tell people you don't have to be afraid of God. He loves you. And he sent his one and only son to this planet to die for your sins. And he would have done it if you'd have been the only person who had ever lived. He loves you that much. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news. If you notice what the, what the shepherds do is remarkable. They go tell everybody what they'd seen and heard. The shepherds become the first evangelist in the Bible. See, all you have to do is to be an evangelist. I believe there's a gift of evangelism. I do believe that. But all of us can be evangelists in a sense of just telling people what we've seen, what we've heard. The birth of Jesus Christ is all about God intersecting time with eternity. He broke through so that he could come and live like a man. Be tempted in all ways as we, yet was without sin. He had to be without sin so that he could take your sin and my sin upon himself. If he'd have been a sinner, he could have died for his own sin, but he couldn't die for our sin. He took my sin upon him, and he suffered and bled and died, paying the price for my sin. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And not only does he do that, he sends his Holy Spirit into my heart, into my life, so that as I'm still living here on planet Earth, I have his presence that brings his peace and comfort as I try my very best to live for him. What a deal. Heaven for a home and Jesus Christ for your best friend while you're here. What a deal. That's why during Christmas it is a perfect time for you to share 
with others of what God has done to you. To be one of those shepherds, evangelists, to just simply tell what you've seen and what you've heard, it's really that simple. It really is that simple. In Jesus' day, there was huge power and corruption. But when the angels from another world came, they brought peace and happiness and opportunity. That opportunity is still with us today for us to tell others. This afternoon is a great opportunity for you to invite folks to come to a beautiful, wonderful musical drama. Invite folks to come. When you get home, call your neighbor, call a friend, call for so many of your family who's, who hasn't been. Invite them to come. Do whatever you can to bring them under the influence of the gospel. And God uses events like this to kind of sneak in the side door on people who might not first come to, quote, a worship service, but will come to some of these events like this. Don't let those opportunities go by. The birth of Jesus Christ, we make no apology. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not about Santa Claus. It's not about gifts. It's not about turkey and dressing. not about cranberry sauce. It's not about any of those. All are wonderful, wonderful in the right place. Christmas is about the birth of our Savior, pure and simple. And we celebrate that, and we should celebrate that. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for Christmas. Thank you for bringing hope and help to us. How would we make it without Christ? We couldn't. I, I'm not perfect. I'm not even close to being perfect. You're a perfect God, so how can you deal with an imperfect wretch of a person like myself? It's because my wretchedness has been taken away. It was taken away by your son, our Savior, on a cross. And when I received his forgiveness, my wretchedness was taken away. And now you see me sinless, sinless, because my sins are forgiven. That's the only way I will ever get to heaven. It's the only way I could ever go to heaven. And it's because of your mercy and your grace. And I thank you for that. And it all began with a baby, a man being born into this world who at the same time was God, miracle of miracles. And so we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is all about. Thank you for Christmas. Today, if there's somebody here who's never trusted Christ, I pray this would be the day they would say yes and receive forgiveness of their sin and receive the presence of your spirit that gives hope and help as they live out their life. Live out their life with the hope that one day when they do depart this world, they'll go to spend a literal eternity in a literal place called heaven. Lord, maybe there are others here this morning that need to rededicate lives. What a perfect time during the Christmas season to get our priorities back in the right order. Maybe some need to come and kneel at this altar and talk with you about asking for unforgiven sin to be adjusted in their life and taken away so that they can have a fresh new start. Maybe some need to come and just bring a need and bring it to the foot of the cross and say, 
by bending my knee and bowing my head, I ask you, God, please be active in these situations. They're beyond my control. You be God in the midst of it and help me to be an example and a trophy of your grace. Maybe there are those that need to join this church by letter or statement or any other way she would receive members. I ask you to simply move on hearts as we await what your spirit will say. And I pray people will respond in accordance with your will. For we ask it in Christ's name.